Okay, you can start talking now. Usually we wait for a few seconds till we start talking, but you're like, start talking, start talking. I mean, you I'm can trying. start talking now. This is I, how this works. I, I understand the, the basic concept of, of the podcast and how a podcast works. You have to talk in order to make a podcast, but... Uh, I, I just, you know, I we usually wait. Look, have you seconds. been dipping into Tony's collection since he abandoned it? Like, no, no. I, I feel like since last issue, you've been dipping into the Tony Stark premium collection. His premium collection on uh, in every single Will Stock bar in his in in his establishment. Uh, yeah, no, I have not. I have okay. not. I've been uh, I've been nose deep in a in a book that had come out a while a while back <laughs> a while uh, back a while back how how much a while back uh let's see i uh i think i think this was uh boy oh boy 2014 wow so and and are we still talking about drugs and alcohol uh, um yes we are thematically yes we are we are talking about uh drugs yes and you had me buy this book <laughs> Yes, it did. three years ago. <laughs> yeah, three years just ago. now getting to it. Yeah, I know. Um, because I was like, "Hey, we should cover this. It's a it's a really good book." And uh, and three years ago, they were they're rolling a movie out for it. And I was like, we "Oh, should... you mean we're three years past when we should have covered it?" Yeah, or yeah, so. yeah. But I see. But just recently, uh, this week they'd uh, or well, the week that we're recording. I'm not sure when this will go out, but they had uh, released the sequel to the first movie that was adapted from this book. So, well, and don't no spoilers because I've only read the comic and watched the first movie, which we will talk about the movies in our next episode. Yes. But today we're talking about see you dad. Correct. Comic written by Andy parks produced by, they say Joe and Anthony Russo. And I think you were saying Joe and Joe and Anthony Russo pitched the story, but then Andy wrote it and then worked on the story with them. So yeah, I, I almost like say, editor, uh, editor, plot editor, I, right? I, and know, then I'm, writer. I'm not sure about the meat and potatoes of it, but I, from what I understand from um, like interviews and uh, and uh, articles and stuff like that, it was it was something that they had an idea for. Uh, they didn't know what route they were going to go. Um, with with this uh, this type of story uh, and getting it getting it on paper, so to speak, uh, was the first step. So uh, writing out the the, um, the basic story, and then Andy got a hold of it, and then was able to make it into the graphic novel that we have. And we've got illustrated by Fernando Leon Gonzalez. Which, yeah, this was uh, it's a it's a just prepare yourself. Uh, I'm going to tell you now and I'll tell you once if you do read this book, I would not be handing it to anyone that is a child. Definitely not. <laughs> it Unless is jam packed. I want them to of... see lots of violence and sex. Yes. I shouldn't say lots of sex, but no, there I mean, there is definitely a scene where that's, that's borderline porn. Just straight up pornographic. It's not borderline, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's, 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 there's a couple of, of scenes. But yeah, a lot of a lot of violence. <laughs> um, it starts off quick. Yeah, it's a very I mean, we're we're it's a 155 pa page graphic novel. So we are definitely not going to go page by page. No, we can't through this we, one. We will we do, could do, do some do summarization. Yeah. yeah, we couldn't do some justice. We'll do some. So what we'll aim to do is kind of go through the sections and, and give you an idea of what the book is about. I'll give you an idea of what the art looks like. Obviously, it's great for podcasts since you can't see the art, but I highly recommend uh, you read this one. And yeah. I will try to put in the show notes if I can actually find where you can read it. I will I'll find it. Uh, here's here's something to know. This book is not available on Amazon right now, the actual book. And I also couldn't find it on eBay. So if you actually have this book in your possession, it's a it's a rare one. A prize not commodity. sure why it's so rare. Like I'm not sure why. My my thoughts, uh, production wise, uh, when it first probably came out, it might not have had a giant reception, and then the reception it did get after uh, the the first movie Extraction, when that the book was adapted, it might have got a lot of people just saying, "Oh, I got to read this the the book it was based off of." So they probably bought up copies that were out there. 
Yeah, I, I don't even see it on Comicsology. Because <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know that I'm a I'm the kind of person that when something gets adapted and I'm interested in it, that I want to find out the rest of the you know the the material that it's that is derived from. So I'm like, oh hey, if there's a if there's a book, if there's something, um, you know, that's anything that leads up to the creation of whatever it is that I'm enjoying. I, I want to find out more about it. So, well, it was, uh, it was fantastic. Like the book, let's just say that. So, yeah. And, uh, n- different than what we've been reading, but I also want to segue, right? <laughs> so far we've been, I do want to segue a little bit from what we've been covering. So we've covered, you know, sixties presentations of drugs and comics, right? Uh, early seventies. Uh, we did late seventies, uh, with the Iron Man books and alcohol. We did the early 80s where we start to see the drug war presented in comics. And we haven't done the 90s and the 2000s yet. We'll get there. Uh, but I do want to contrast what was going on in those Teen Titans drug war books versus mm-hmm. this. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> we get more of the impact of what the drug war and smuggling looks like because of the drug war. Whereas mm-hmm. those Teen Titan books, of course, that we made fun of a lot. We're just like, oh yeah, those evil drug dealers are coming to the United States and coming after our schools. Look at them flying their drugs in on their helicopters and they're going to get us. And this book paints the picture of what happens because of the U.S.'s war on drugs. Yeah, and how divided a, a, a city can become. <laughs> yeah, and I, I love the setting for this book because it takes place in an actual real city Ciudad del Esta, mm-hmm. and I, now, if you want to see me mess things up, uh, watch me try to pronounce Spanish and Portuguese city names. So this is <laughs> going to be fun. Uh, but it is in Paraguay, and it's on the border uh, with Brazil. And there's a famous bridge there called the Friendship Bridge, which will definitely play a part in the story. <laughs> and we also have, and I was trying to get the, Okay, it's Foz do. I'm gonna yeah, my Portuguese, <laughs> right? Foz do Iguiu, and I don't know what the squiggly line under the C does in Portuguese, but apparently this is also uh, for Brazil. It's a really famous area. There's a beautiful falls there. It's a kind of a tourist area on one side, mm-hmm. uh, but then if you cross the bridge, you get into Paraguay. And it's important for Paraguay to have this bridge in this connection to Brazil because Paraguay is landlocked. And so part of this part of what this does is there's an international airport on each side. uh, But you also have access to Portuguese ports this way or to Brazilian ports this way. So it's a very important it's a very important crossing right between the two countries and apparently you can just walk across like in real life you can just walk across this bridge uh if you're just walking across they're not even checking passports so you can freely move between paraguay and brazil which as they cover in the very beginning of the story is a perfect setup for (laughs) smuggling yeah (laughs) and uh and contraband and drugs and other things so I, I learned a lot, by the way, because I went, you know, you know me, I go back and like you said, well, I, now I, Dan wants to know the source material. So I'm like, oh, well, let me learn more about this friendship bridge. And apparently to relieve traffic on that bridge that they reference in the story, they actually opened another bridge. Uh, I think it was last year. I was doing some research. So mm-hmm. they've actually increased the ability of folks to cross that at that border point because mm. uh, it was so backed up. And so anyway. <laughs> Yeah, that's a a little history in this. I do think Paraguay does have one access point to the Atlantic Ocean, if I remember right. Isn't it down by Buenos Aires? I believe. I think they get like Uruguay and Argentina Argentina give them like one little tiny point. I'm looking at a map right now. It looks like they do have one port at the bottom of the country, but nothing close to the capital. And so this would be the definitely the closest point to another country and closest uh, crossing to the capital. So yeah, it's a, anyway, little nugget of information. If you don't believe us. Yeah. Yeah. Dangerous, dangerous territory too. 
Apparently, I mean, based on this book, um, when I was reading on what was going on right there, I saw people saying it was safe to cross the bridge and go stay in a hotel. And uh, sure. there's a couple of YouTube videos. So I'm sure it'd be interesting to safe, see how it's but... presented, you know, how it's presented now versus how it's presented in the book in 2014. Yeah, I, I'm sure it's relatively safe. But then again, I mean, my own personal experience in South America is just like there are safe parts, there are not safe parts. So. It's all, well, just be intelligent. I mean, yeah. you're in a different country with different rules and different laws and different social structures and culture. And mm-hmm. no, Paraguay does not touch. Yeah, I'm wrong. That's yeah, I'm scrolling back out. Paraguay doesn't even come close to touching the water. Sorry, I couldn't see my <laughs> I couldn't see the borders. Paraguay is not even close to touching. Not the water. So this is their access point. It's the only Sorry thing. about that at the beginning. <laughs> I'm not going to delete that out. But I scrolled my map back out. And I was like, I didn't remember Paraguay touching the water last night when I was looking at a map. And it definitely does not. It does not. Yeah. You got Paraguay and Bolivia right there in the middle of the continent with no points of access to water. And like by all, all these other countries. So yeah, friendship bridge, very important to Paraguay. Very important. And very okay, important to so the story. with that context, do you want to add any more context? Do you think we've covered enough context? So think, we're in a think, city in Paraguay. Yeah. We are, it's a very important access point to Paraguay and smuggling and things happen here because Paraguay has different laws than Brazil. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. That's think you got the context. Covered. Yeah. All right. So tell us about the beginning of the story, Greg. Uh, like I said, it jumps off pretty fast. I mean, we're we're introduced to a bunch of nameless characters, but everybody has guns, and uh, we have uh, what we and believe masks. to be hmm? and masks and masks. Yes, they're all masked, and, we, and what we believe to be our uh, our our main character or one of our main characters in the story, uh, getting kind of like the. Um, He's, he's trying to get information from these, these guys with guns, um, because he's, he's on a job, right? He's, he's trying to do a recovery and they're basically like, Hey, we want the money, you know? <laughs> yeah. And from and that point it gets, it goes from not so great to <laughs> interesting. Yeah. In, uh, it's in, in storytelling, this would be the, the teaser mm-hmm. for the story. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 24 page teaser of all action. Very yeah. little words. I and was really, you know how we were complaining about the Iron Man books having too much dialogue when the art tells mm-hmm. you what's happening. Yeah. Uh, this book is almost the opposite. There's almost no <laughs> narration dialogue <laughs> through this entire action sequence, which I actually think is really great. Because it just I when I say almost the opposite, I don't mean that as criticism. I mean, mm-hmm. it as a compliment. Yeah, because the art is so great that Fernando's art is so great that you don't need to see you don't need narration. You know yeah. exactly what's going on. Yeah, it uh, it definitely moves through at a, at a steady clip where the reader can kind of scan through, enjoy the art, look through the panels, see the action, follow it really, really easy. You don't need any of that additional whatnot when they do have any dialogue. Uh, I would say it's, it's very driven and meaningful dialogue for the moment. So, yeah. And to set the scene, basically, like you said, we've got a guy who they call a white guy Mm -hmm. and he's shooting up what looks like to be some kidnappers. And he rescues a girl named Ava, EBA. And he basically kills a whole bunch of people in the process. (laughs) <laughs> summarizing it that's yeah, pretty yeah. much what happens right i mean basically yeah he he does a team wipe in in 25 pages of, yeah and then of a block and then they get outside and this little girl yells out hey there's the murderer and the dad looks like he's not going to do anything but then he gets back in his house and reports to the gang members in the city what happened and then i believe it's the police start coming after him yeah cops show up and then it's like like it was like oh the the police you know and he's like we can't trust them you know just move follow me and then they dive into the trunk of a presumably a car that's presumably waiting for them and that's the start of the story so we've got a lot of stuff we need to know like who is this guy why is he rescuing this girl he yep. seems to be a little bit uh, bitter about his team 
telling him it wouldn't work. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and why are the police uh, in line with the the kidnappers? Like, I, I don't know. Why so are they working? Yeah, why are they working? We get for to him? find out. I thought it was a really cool way. I mean, I flew through the first few pages. I mean, there's not a lot of dialogue, yeah. but it really keeps you moving too. Like the way the art is set up, it makes you want to see what's happening next. Definitely. 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 And then, you know, then the next, as we open on the next thing, it gives us all that context that, that you were talking about. Um, you know, just about the area, about how it's run, what, what happens in that area. Um, you know, how it's the home of cartels, uh, and human trafficking. Yeah, it tells us about the the bridge, the Piranha, the Piranha River is the river. And I think also one of the things that I will say this book does really well is I don't think I would have been drawn into this book if it started with all of this context. Mm-hmm. But since they drew me into the story, now I was really interested in the context they were building for the story. Yeah, I think you started <laughs> off with all that chunky, <laughs> chunky text boxes. It's It's a lot. It's very heavy. But and after get we get action. the context for for the city. Yeah. Right. And what goes on there. Then we get to Ava's story. So mm-hmm. we go five days in the past and we see her out with schoolmates, presumably. And yeah. she goes home and uh, we interact with her housekeeper, I guess, or her sister. I can't really tell. Housekeeper, I think. Or a mother, it could be. Uh, I'm thinking housekeeper. Oh, outfit. not her mother, because it says your mother will be home tomorrow. Yeah, it's uh, the outfit. I'm I'm thinking housekeeper. And as we go through this, uh, she sneaks out and goes to a club, meets a boy, goes to smoke pot with the boy, and the police come by and start harassing them. And, you know, when I was reading this the first time, I was like, oh, I, I just was wondering, like, does Paraguay have really tough marijuana laws or something? <laughs> like, I, I don't know. I did not look this up later because the plot moves so quickly. Yeah. Uh, but the police officer takes a puff, says it's good stuff, and then shoots the boy. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, geez. Okay. And that's how the kidnapping starts. So the police end up kidnapping Ava. So we've yeah. got that context. Uh, then we get to the next scene and do you want to set the next scene? Yeah, we, uh, we open on a prison and, uh, it's very, very much like, uh, you know, you, you get, you get, uh, interaction between, uh, inmate and a lawyer or, uh, I believe a lawyer and they're having this conversation basically like, Hey, um, got to tell you something that you don't want to hear, uh, your daughter. And, you know, the first jump is like, she's dead, you know, it's like, no, she's been taken. And then it's like, we got to get her back. <laughs> yeah. And they also allude to that. The drug dealer is a little bit limited on funds because he's in Brazil and the Brazilian government sort of locked down his drug trade. Right. Yeah. And, so, and, and that's why assets. the daughter and the family were hanging out in Paraguay. Right. Um, I think, I think she was actually stolen from stolen from Brazil, from Brazil. Okay. Yeah. And taken over to Paraguay. Keep me honest here, yeah. And I think that's why, and, and that's probably why they have to get back from one country to the other. And then we get another scene flip, and we end up in the Palm Islands of Dubai. And do you know anything about the Palm Islands? Um, are they the the man-made islands in the middle of the... They uh, are. <laughs> they are. Paradise on Earth, man-made created paradise in Dubai. and Probably very expensive to be at. Yeah, uh, and in the Palm Islands, somebody gets... Murdered. <laughs> Jeez. Not so cool. What do you mean? Or are they shooting guns? No, sorry, they're, I lied. Nobody yeah, they're, gets just, they're just they're shooting grenade launchers, blowing up palm trees. Uh, but we get introduced to Mikkel, one of the supporting cast in the story. Mm-hmm. And then we get introduced to the main character of the story next, who's hanging out in Madagascar. And he basically gets called and offered a job. And his whole team is like, don't do it. Like, don't, don't do it at all. It's not worth it. And apparently he likes to sleep with women that aren't his wife. We find that out too. And the whole team's like, don't go do this adventure. But our main character, who we don't know who he is yet, he's just like, yeah, I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of great dialogue here and a lot of back and forth. And at about 42 pages in, there we go. Yeah, we also get to meet another group. Sorry, 40 pages in, we meet 
the boss, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or no, sorry, I lied. We're still going into Paraguay. So he's flying to Paraguay to take on the mission. Yeah. He's all cleaned up and he meets his team. Okay, so what are we set up for? We know the police guys are bad. Police guys are bad. Uh, drug dealer dad is in in prison. So he probably has a bad team around him. Yeah, daughter has been kidnapped. And now he wants her and, back. And we know everybody wants dad's money. Yeah. Presumably. Presumably. And we don't know how that money is even locked down. And we get to the scene at page 42 where he's ready to go take the mission. And then we're back in the trunk. Yeah. There's a lot that goes on in the first third of this book. Oh, yeah. And but not there's a lot that goes on. They set up a lot of backstory. But really, with the backstory, as far as the main storyline, you're probably only into the story for about 20 minutes, right? Yeah. So we've only watched we've only seen 20 minutes of the actual rescue. Yeah, it's it's. Like I said, it moves quick. And even when it's slow, it's still moving quick. And while they're in the trunk, we find out we meet a new another character that we've been alluded to in the past. Yes. And we meet the sheriff of the town of this guy is the sheriff of I'm going to mess this up. He's in Paraguay, right? Yeah, they're in Paraguay. Yeah. Okay. And the sheriff is incredibly corrupt. He's running the town, basically. And he'll have some interactions with the mayor later to firmly establish that he's running the town. And he's with these kids that are helping him smuggle drugs and he's accusing them of stealing. And he throws one of them off a roof. And then one other kid steps up and said, Oh, the kid you threw off the roof was the one that did this. And then for saying that he makes the other kid chop off two of his fingers. That's not a very nice guy. I mean, he's teaching lessons. (laughs) Yeah, this is, these are definitely the kind of lessons that we should have learned as youth. You know, no. it would have been tougher. Maybe. I saw, I saw an article today. The, the current generation is not ready to fight a revolutionary war. Yeah. <laughs> I did not read this article. <laughs> uh, but yeah, of course they're not because we're not in a state where we need to fight a revolutionary war right now. Right. We already did that. So I definitely wouldn't expect those folks to be ready, nor would I expect them to be ready for something like we're reading in this book, because the culture is different now. It's amazing. Somebody wants to hold back to something that happened over 200 years ago and just complain. Oh, the new generation's just not tough enough for this stuff. I think they're tougher in different ways. (laughs) But here we get real exposure to violence and the impact it has on kids. And Mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it's really gross. Yeah, definitely. So now we're back to the trunk and they're getting out of the trunk and they're finding a spot in the city. They're trying to find a spot to get out of the city, right? Yeah, they're trying to they're trying to get their um, exit point that they have locked in to get out. So they move down the river a little bit, presumably, right? Yeah. And they're trying to do a couple of things. He gives her some pills to take, you know, and tells her their antibiotics. He gets her in a flak jacket. Just prepared, you know. You never know what's going to be out there. You know, you and, got <laughs> Well, they don't, and they start heading to their boat. So it's supposed to be super easy, right, That that's going to extract them. Yeah. And then we see, it wasn't Mikkel. I'm trying to remember the other guy's name. Um, but his associate dead on the boat. Yeah. So the police have already gotten to this guy, and they are trying to get Ava back. And so now we have the story. We're at one third in, but I th- again, I think this is good. Now we have the story, right? The boat's gone. And now they're they on the, run the again. boat. And now <laughs> they are stuck. They yeah. are definitely stuck in the city and bad news bears because now yeah. he gets back to the car and he's trying to dial Mikkel and like, find me another way out. Klaus was the guy's name. And he's yeah. Dead and um, Ava's trying not to get shot in the back of this giant Cadillac they're in and or limousine, but I think it's a Cadillac and they're definitely headed away. And then we get another action scene. Boom. Full on car chase. Just a bunch of shooting fire. It's a, it's pretty intense until, until they finally escape all that. And then they, they wind up in, uh, in hiding again. Yeah. And they find a place and then they're working on getting them into a permanent place. So to kind of lay low until, until things cool down a little bit. Yeah. And we also find out, that the father has reneged on the payment. Yeah. 
And so his team is trying to tell him to leave her alone and get out of the situation. And he's kind of upholding some sort of mercenary moral code of, of finishing right. the, the job, he even though he's, job, he's, he's not getting paid. <laughs> he's like, I, I know I'm not getting paid, but I uh, got this kid. And then, you know, we get a situation where they're hiding out and all of a sudden he feels responsible and they're trying to clean each other up and, and get ready for the next phase of their journey, basically. Yeah. Except it can't stop. He's got to go out and try to find them food. So now he's out. And for some reason, he thinks a giant, tall white guy can just sit <laughs> seamlessly fit into what's going on and he can go find some food for them and everything will be fine. And that's where we get a gunfight. And this is where we get the, the kids start. Yeah, right, you get this, after him. this gunfight, this massive chase scene that uh, goes on for through a few a pages. Of all places. Huh? Yeah, through a through mall. Through a mall. Yeah. Gunfight, chase scene. The kids show up and it turns into, yeah, this is like the kids chasing him down through the mall. And, and it's know. the kids that the sheriff like were was upset with, right? Yeah. He's like, you guys he gotta set them loose. Guy on on the city to go find this guy and hey hey and and right on page 72 is a couple pages earlier the woman at the slot machines from iron man shows up (laughs) pretty much yeah (laughs) she's complaining about them trouncing through her store and she's like i've got you guys on video <laughs> Call my nephew. Completely ignoring everything else that's going on around right. her. She just cares that her store got messed up. <laughs> she doesn't care that she doesn't care that these kids are shooting up the entire mall. Yeah. She's like, uh, you knocked things over in my store. <laughs> oh no. I did kind of actually I liked this better than I liked it in the Iron Man books, actually. <laughs> the action. Yeah. Well, and she's like, I'm gonna call my nephew. I don't know who her nephew is. But yeah, he's the baddie. He's apparently a big baddie. Well, we get going and we're moving through the story and now we get a little bit more of the backstory. So we've got the mayor and he's meeting with with Mora. That's the lieutenant. I kept calling him the sheriff, but basically the the guy in charge. Yeah. And he's trying to establish himself. I'm still the mayor of Ciudad del Esta and Mora's like, you're the mayor because you deliver mountains of cash to your Hezbollah friends. So they established earlier too that the Lebanese controlled the the leadership of the structure of the town. Hmm. So that's where some of the smuggling was going on. And then we've got Mora here, who's trying to establish himself as the leader of the town, basically. And they're basically fighting, fighting over territory, so to speak. Yeah. But basically he ends the discussion by saying, well, he's just going to put the entire police force under his authority. If the mayor's, you know, keeps messing with him. So Mora is clearly in charge here. No power for the mayor. And then we get the next section and he's got a dad gets to make a call from the. Yeah, uh, from the prison. Dad gets to make a call from the prison and he's got two minutes and he's talking to his lawyer and he's basically like staying alive here, fighting the bastards in court, costing me close to a million a month. How long do you think I have to live when the money runs out? Is kind of where we live, leave that. Mm-hmm. So we find out a little bit about why he doesn't want to pay the guy rescuing who we still don't know his name, but we get moving. Yeah. But that creates uh, another character who's already been hurt. We've got Edu, the lawyer, and now he's bandaged up and he's another intervening party who wants to take out. He gets wants to get Eva, right? So we've yeah. got Mora who wants to get Eva. We've got Edu who wants to get Eva. And all for nefarious purposes, right? They want mm-hmm. to hold her as money or kill her if that money doesn't work out, right? Right. And basically, everybody wants to keep her in uh, Ciudad de Esta, right? Like, yeah. Because if we're back in Brazil, we're under a gif- different jurisdiction. Exactly. And basically, and where the she drug cartel the... has been defeated, right? Uh, once she crosses the bridge, she's basically like back to back to home. So she's yeah. For whatever that means. Yeah. She's safe-ish-ish. Yeah. It wasn't safe last time, but yeah. yeah. Safer. There we go. Safer. So this is where we get, uh, we find out how Mikel is going to help them out on page 77 as we move through the story. And hey, somebody comes to pick them up. Mm-hmm. 
and that's really nice. And I'm going to totally mispronounce this guy's name. I thought it was Gaush. Gasson. 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 Sorry. Not Gaush. Gasson. And Gasson is a clearly a local, <laughs> but he set himself up with the police. Uh, the police know they're looking for people being smuggled, and uh, Gasson has a big van, and he just tells the police, like, hey, uh, we know you're looking for these folks, but uh, I I have some stuff in the back of the van I really don't want to talk about and I don't need you to look at. And the police are like, ah, yeah, that's right. Um, we'll take this money and uh, we don't need to look. Yeah. So they know him well enough to interact with him, but he pays them off. And, and then we get to his house and he has a very well protected house um, his with security there. measures and a wife and a daughter. And your fax machine is is ready to go because I think Greg still has a fax machine. And, you know, I just even if Greg doesn't have a fax machine, I just want to imagine that he has a fax machine running faxes in the background, giving him updates for his daily tasks. And that fax machine told him right now that he has to do something. Yep. But the most important thing here is after Greg gets a fax, we come back to Gasson's house with his family. Gasson. And his family before. And we go through some really important scenes here at Gosson's house. And this is a big chunk of the story. Uh, but this is where they really start humanizing uh, some of the characters in the story. Mm-hmm. And I think this was needed at this point because most of the characters in the story are p- pretty abhorrent to this point, right? Right. Like even with our unnamed rescuer, we know that he helped kill somebody and somebody was going around killing the four people that killed the guy, right? Right. Killed the Israeli national, right? And, mm-hmm. or was it Iranian? Well, anyway, I have to go back to the beginning, but <laughs> they killed somebody, right? <laughs> and so all three of the four are dead. Uh, we know that we know that he, one of the member of his team is dead. Uh, we know that Mara is abhorrent. We know that Edu, not a great guy, uh, kind of went into his business of himself and he was, you know, trying to take over the drug empire. Mm-hmm. We know that the mayor is working with the terrorist organization and we still get sort of this, you know, uh, dehumanized figure in a sense, right? Like they're pretty two dimensional, right? A lot yeah. of the characters. And this is where we start to add dimension to them and start to understand what they do. So Correct. we get Gasson and we get to find out more about Ava and she finally gets to get cleaned up from the adventure uh, it's really important that we understand that they have a giant fish tank in their house for some reason. Yeah. I mean, and even though the wife doesn't, it's the wife definitely knows what her husband does and doesn't like the fact that it's been brought into their house, but still welcomes everybody as if, you know, this is her family. This is her world. Yeah. And she's going to make host. it as normal as possible. Yeah. She's a gracious host. She's like, come take a look at our sharks. <laughs> and, she even says, Gasan knows I don't approve of him uh, bringing his business into our home, but you and Miss Roche are our guests now, and you're welcome, and thank you. Um, so you've never been tempted to settle and start a family, and this is where, uh, I'm sorry, I know my husband calls you T. And then he says, I am Tommy Aldridge. So <laughs> for now, we know him as, as Tommy. Tommy. And he basically says, hey, I was young and stupid and you know, messed up my family relationship. That's what we get all of that. But basically we get a scene where they start doing really family things and Ava starts to come out of her shell because their daughter tries to sing towns of Portugal (laughs) with a mouthful of water and water gets spit all over the place. And Ava kind of comes out of her shell and is like, mom starts to scold her. And Ava's like, please don't um, because it's like the first happiness Ava's had, you know, in well, five days, presumably, right? Yeah, she's been been smuggled around. Yeah. Stuffed in a trunk, shot at. (laughs) And then we get to a stomach cramp and uh, Ava goes upstairs. And here's one of the really dark parts of the story. It was it was interesting. I just I don't know. You know, I have to criticize every part of some story, right? Yeah. Uh, the next scene was really awful. It's very brutal. <laughs> it's 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 a hard it's a hard like from 84 84 leaves off on a high note and then 85 through 80 I want to say 88 
you're kind of like, it's, it kind of like sucks it out of you. Um, basically, uh, my, and this is me, you know, digging, but, uh, I'm assuming Ava's feeling a tremendous amount of guilt for, for everything. And, um, because, and then also just feeling slightly like with, with the circumstances and stuff that, uh, um, just powerless and, and probably at a, at a loss because, you know, there's what, what can she go back to? Um, and she tries to, she tries to commit suicide. Um, yeah, that's, see, that's not how I read that, but I read it as the drug impacting her and making her bleed. So they give her RU486, and I could be wrong. I know that part is true, and that's where the stomach cramp came from, and then it basically causes her to bleed more, and that's where the stomach cramps were coming from. Though I did read it the way you read it the first time. Okay, maybe I didn't know what was going on. And then, but either way, um, we start to see... probably be right, because I'm, what I'm seeing, like, I mean, how you're explaining it, and then versus what I see, like, what I saw, like, I'm looking, and it's, it's just some of the stuff that she says, dialogue-wise. Yep. You know, it just, it, it feels like that, that's what... (laughs) It does, and it's, well, it's interesting that, I mean, we go there, too, because the character's been treated so two-dimensionally to this point, Mm -hmm. right? that all you do is see her as a victim. Mm-hmm. And then that victim sees a family and happiness that she doesn't think she's ever going to have. And you think that the victim would despair to that point. But we also get to see how kind of terrible Tommy, the mercenary, mm-hmm. and I'm sure that's his real name is like, he goes in and he, he treats her as a two dimensional person, right? As a victim gives her a drug cocktail that includes RU486. And she, that's the the day after pill for those that folks that don't know. I probably messed up the numbers, but it's the day after pill. And it causes her uh, to bleed and because it's causing her to abort a baby. But in this case, she wasn't raped. And he never bothered to even ask her before forcing the meds down her throat. And See, this is the part yeah. where we start to get the three dimensions of the character, right? And She's uh, just ba- basically saying, you treat me no differently than anyone else. And I skipped over, like, for some reason, I just, like, in my mind, I saw I saw a different scene play out. So I just, like, skipped over the, like, that whole entire bottom portion. Boy. <laughs> I, well, I also think twice. that's important, though, because, I mean, it's important, though, when we're analyzing a story like this, to what does the story prompt you? You know, it's pictures and words, right? Yeah. Like, what does the story prompt you to interpret out of the pictures? Right. And I, I'm, I'm going to say, like, I interpreted it the exact way you did until I kept reading further into the story, right? Mm-hmm. So I, that's what I thought at first, too. I thought she was trying to commit suicide. Man, um, I did that two times. What, But what comes out of this is Ava standing up for herself and Tommy breaking down, Tommy, the mercenary breaking down and just saying, like, I really don't know what to say. Like, he's like, I make so many assumptions, basically acknowledging that he treats her as subhuman. Yeah. And this is where we get the break in both characters. The guard being let down and they both kind of see each other for the first time. And, you know, she thought her life was over and she even, you know, thought of herself as subhuman, right? Hey, I'm here. I'm locked in the closet. My life is over. And then they, but they bond and decide they're going to help each other out, even though she's still suffering the effects. And he sends her to go back to sleep and goes down to hang out with Gasan, who sent his family away to keep them safe, presumably. Yep. Um, but what we find out very quickly is he didn't send them away to keep them safe. He basically tells, uh, have we got a name reveal yet? <sighs> trying to glance through really quickly. Yeah, we're still going with Tommy, but Gasson is explaining his position in positioning to him being a mustache twirling villain, telling him everything. But I'm assuming too, in this case, we get a little bit of extra dimension from Gasson too, because we've seen him with the family. And mm-hmm. he's also trying to justify what he's doing to his friend, to yeah. his friend. Because he's trying to make a better life for his family. <laughs> yeah. And, but basically he tries to, he tries to kill Tommy multiple ways, but Tommy wins the fight over a few pages and kills Gasson in the fish tank. 
because you knew by bringing up that fish tank, it was going to go at some point. Yeah. And he kills them in the fish tank, right? Yeah. I mean, it's a, all. it's a whole entire fight through the, the rooms and yeah, totally ends yeah. in the fish tank. And yeah, on page 100 of all pages, we see a shark flying in the background. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> I did laugh at that. <laughs> like it looks like a great fly. white shark flying in the background. <laughs> Mine, but yeah, it's uh, another intense scene. And I again, too, um, I know I said I wouldn't talk about the movie and I'm mm-hmm. not. But I'll just say they they try to repeat this sort of in the movie. And I, I don't think it works because uh-huh. we get way more justification for the characters here and why they're doing things. So props, <laughs> props to Andy Parks for... Uh, reeling in the Russos and, and keeping them on point here. Yeah, definitely. So, it, it makes for a great scene in the book. So he grabs, uh, Tommy's been betrayed by his friend. Um, he tried to sell him out to Mora, the lieutenant slash chief, the police person. Mm-hmm. And he grabs his phone and he calls him and he has a nice conversation with Mora while Mora's in the strip club and basically says, the entire city is closing in on you. And there's only one possible outcome. You're going to be dead and the girl is going to serve her purpose. I offer you nothing. He won't deal with him. So he's like, now that I know Gasan has failed, maybe my men will be there in 10 minutes. Tommy calls his bluff. I was like, if you knew where he w- lived, you would have killed him already. <laughs> so <laughs> we're good there. And he's back again. Dial Mikel. <laughs> like Mikel has got to give him a, Mikel has not done a phenomenal job getting him out of these situations so far, but he no. goes back to him for one more try. Right. He's like, I need out. And so he goes back to get Ava and Ava is shocked uh, to find Gasan dead because it's been her first connection to reality. She's really shaken. And what do you do with a person who's really shaken? You give them a gun. Yeah. Is, I like it makes how a lot he, of sense. Yeah, I like how he, when he gives her the gun, he's like, well, this is how you use it in case you do need to. And she's like, I know how to use guns. Yeah, it's, my dad's a drug dealer. Yeah. And I think that, you know, I mean, this is this is an interesting I mean, that's an interesting piece of, of context to put in there because, you know, like she's for someone that's coming off as defenseless in some in some ways, she's like, I, I can I can use this. Like, you know, I know how to do this. And it's like, she's starting to, like you said, with through, through these, through this bit right here, she's coming out of the shell and she's starting to, to take back that herself. Yeah. Yes. And as she does, we get a scene back. He's dialing Mikel, but we get a scene back to the mayor, uh, conversing with Mora again, who's busy <laughs> at the time um, of the call. Yeah, yeah, this is one of those uh, um, overly sexy scenes. <laughs> and, you know, I just presumably these are women that were smuggled to in that other scene, which makes me really uncomfortable. Yeah. But the basically we're finding out how bad a, a guy Mora is, but they just spell it out right here. Mora is trying to replace Roche as the head cartel guy in the city and the, the drug smuggling. And the mayor knows that and they're interacting with each other. And then we get a flash. We get a scene with Edu also. So the mayor's trying to stop him. Morris trying to stop him. And Edu's trying to stop him. And Edu says there are several routes to the bridge from the West, but we know where to focus our efforts and we have enough men to cover the streets. He can't let Mora have his daughter again. So we've got Edu trying to get the daughter for his purposes. Mm-hmm. We've got Mora trying to get Ava for his purposes. And, the mayor just wants it taken care of so he can keep his cut Status of the quo. smuggling operations. Yeah. yeah. He wants everything to be peach keen. And now we get boys on scooters trying to kill people. We've mm-hmm. got police trying to kill people. And it is a mad dash to the friendship bridge at this point. Yeah, it is. It's, it's very like from that point on, it's very like Mad Maxi, like but I mean, in the sense of the car chases, the shootouts and stuff like that, a lot of high action, um, where our main characters like, I just need more bullets, uh, to the point where, you know, you got Edu, um, just like he is he's on a, a path for blood throughout this whole entire race through the city to catch them, you know, he's going to stop at all at, you know, stop at all costs to, to catch them through the city, even if it means possibly killing everybody. And what this leads into in 
Uh, and you called it Mad Max. I'd sort of call it Warriors. <laughs> Come out, play. I can't do it. Because uh, we get all these different gang feels and different groups, and they're all trying to kill him. And it, eventually we get down to a scenario where we find out that uh, we definitely find out in the story by the time we get to the in, into a couple of the scenes. One reveal during the chase scenes is Idu is trying to get Ava back. And we find out that Idu definitely, and I think maybe I spoiled it a little bit too early in the story, but Idu definitely is not trying to get Ava back uh, to save her for her dad out of some good graces, right? Like he is, he basically says, I built my, this business with Roche over these years and I'm not going to lose it to a stupid American. Right. So he definitely, they get in a fight and eventually Edu loses, but Tommy is definitely damaged by the fight. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, it is, it's a rough, rough fight. Then, uh, then we end up again, right after that, more, kids on kids on scooters chasing them down right and you know it reminds me too the kids on scooters just the stories of warlord armies and and you know just employing kids to do things and the kids on scooters are dispatched pretty quickly by the adult mercenary but that leads him into an area with snipers and police all set up and basically the police are at the friendship bridge and they are going to do their best to prevent him from coming across and getting Ava over to Brazil where the Brazilian authorities can protect her. So the, the police roadblock is all set up and I think it's hilarious because he goes through it in like two panels. Yeah. Blows it up. Boom. Done driving. And then suddenly he emerges from their minivan with a (laughs) rocket launcher. Yeah. And he starts firing rockets at the police, and that pretty much wipes them out initially. And then we start moving into the end of the story on page 138. And here's where we have our... And this is why I think this is beautiful, the way Parks wrote this. Uh, We do get some thought bubbles, right? You know, uh, throughout the story a little bit. Yeah. But mostly it's dialogue. And now we get our first real narration but it's narration of a letter that our American mercenaries writing for Ava. And so we get Ava and every background scene is the fights and things that are going on. I wanted to tell you some things, things I knew I wouldn't be able to say. And then we get another scene where the police are still trying to cross the bridge and they're reporting that he blew up the whole checkpoint. And as we get into the story, we get continue. I've been doing this job for a long time and it continues to happen. The fight continues to happen in the background. I've seen a whole lot of victims and I know what they look like. And now he's telling her that they need to bolt soon, that she's going to have to run on her own. He says, you're not one of them. You're a strong girl and you can be. And at the same time, he's prepping her to run across the bridge. Mm -hmm. Anything you want in this life. Not everyone has that. Most people get stuck. And this is at the same time he's telling Ava that uh, (laughs) she needs to go. But he calls his bluff and says, because he's going to cover her. And he says, for the last thing you say to me to be a lie. Or is that what you want? The last thing you say to me to be a lie. Of course, we've got this narration still going on in the background. Well, this letter um, stuck in places they're not strong enough to get out of. And and. I've been stuck for the last eight years. So we're getting the reveal. He kisses her on the cheek and tells her to go. And after this time with you, maybe I can move on. And now we get the final big fight scene. And he says, I haven't cared about anyone in such a long time. And we get this fight scene. So he bursts out to fight the kids on scooters and any police left on the Paraguay side of the bridge. And he says, I've been a drone, functional, but empty, Uh, caring about something about someone and caring about you has changed me. And he's telling Ava to fucking run. And she's yelling, Tyler, no, because she knows his name now, because that was disclosed in the truck. That was like his last gift to her. And basically, we have another big fight scene as the letter continues. And without reading... The entire letter, I'll just say, if I can make it out of See You, Dad, having cared about you will make me a different man. And so, but we know from earlier in the story, there's one caveat to this. 
Mikel has mentioned that Tyler cannot go to Brazil because he'll be arrested and extradited. And so as he makes his fight scene, he gets Ava to Brazil, but he wins slash loses the fight by jumping off the bridge into the river. <laughs> he's he's pretty shot up at this point. So he's 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 been he's been hit a few times while he's on the bridge. I do like that. I'm 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 gonna say I like that we have um realistic situation you know he's he's a damaged hero he gets damaged in the the firefight he's not he's he's not a um he's not a captain america (laughs) you know no pun intended based on this book yeah but i mean he he but maybe he's a winter soldier yeah he's he's he takes damage gets shot and yeah Yeah. gets wounded (laughs) well anyway he ends up uh, we get Ava safe. She's across the bridge and Tyler ends his letter by saying, make a good life for yourself, a good long one. And he ends it with Tyler and she reads the letter while she's being taken care of. And then we find out that 3.4 miles from Ciudad del Esta. We find Tyler in a makeshift hospital room being fixed up by Mikel. And we get to find out that she's safe, but to do it, they had to, <laughs> make a lot of bribes <laughs> yeah they basically spent all their money yeah and he's like well send eva a million and they're like what <laughs> like, why what would we you say <laughs> why would she send her a million he's like she gets a million and Mikel's like and how the hell are we supposed to get that to her you know we have an account number anything and they're like you'll figure something out and we get back to the supermax and mr roche is meeting with somebody and he's been sent with some troubling room. I'm afraid your daughter is missing. Does not appear she was taken. She left your home in Sao Paulo two days ago. And she left a note asking that you not look for her. He's like, where's my fucking lawyer? And he's like, your lawyer's left the country, Mr. Roche. <laughs> we believe he's in Africa now. And he seems to have emptied your account. And he has nothing. And he is facing a life now where he is likely going to be dead very, very, very soon. And now we get to five weeks later. And Ciudad del Esta in the second uh, epilogue. So epilogue number one was going to the jail. Well, epilogue number one was him healing. Epilogue number two was going to the jail to find out the fate of Mr. Roche. Now we get to find out Mora's fate. And Mora's partying. And he gets run into by Tyler in the bathroom. And Tyler shoots him in the head. So there we go. Goodbye, Mora. I like the epilogues. And then we get the final epilogue, which is just one page of... Ava is in Paris. She gets a text. She's sculpting. And it just says, the text says, sleep sound, Ava. You're safe. Tyler. The end. A really compact story. I mean, you know, like a fast moving, tightly told story in this book. Yeah. And so a couple of things I learned here, too. Mm -hmm. Um, One, uh, I really appreciate, you know, Andy Parks was an inker professionally as well as an artist i mean he drew as well but i think really inkers are inkers i've seen in the past there are ones that are really good storytellers because what they're doing is cleaning up the plot and the story as they go to refine the art and it really shows that he's a really well-rounded writer in the sense that he can also conceptualize what's going on in the story and i really obviously the artist has a lot of leeway but i really felt the pacing changes throughout the story whether we're using there's a lot of eight panel grids in the story and modified eight panel grids as you go. We don't have a lot of big splash pages as the story goes. And I really think that the way he laid this out with with the artist, uh, Fernando Leon Gonzalez, I feel like they did a really good job laying this out and making and keeping the pacing moving because I'm always comfortable reading through these eight panel grids. And then, like I said, instead of splash pages, what we usually get is just a combining of the panels. So if you look at like page 144, during the fight scene on the bridge. Uh, it's still an eight panel grid layout, but you just combine the two panels at the top. You combine the four panels in the middle, but then you separate the panels at the bottom. And I really liked how this was consistently done throughout the book. It really helped the story flow. And I, I mean, I read the story in like hour and a half, maybe probably faster. So I just picked it up and started reading dog snuggling 
with me and we read the story really quickly. So it moved fast and I really compliment both the writer and the artist. And obviously the Russos too, I can't leave them out since they conceptualize the story. <laughs> right, right. No, the, but the, the reason I pull it up with Andy Parks is I felt like, you know, reading the old Green Arrow stuff that him and Phil Hester did. Mm-hmm. Um, they've already had to do this before. Like he already had yeah. to do this as an inker with Kevin Smith writing, who's not an experienced comic book writer either coming right. from the same background as uh, the Russos, right. As a movie director and actor. So yeah. that I, obviously Kevin Smith is a lifelong comic book fan and a, a different, very different than comparing him to the Russos. Right. Well, I but, mean, there's something that can be said about being a lifelong comic book fan and then sitting down to try to write your first, like you can, learn how to screenplay and then you can learn how to write comic books, but they're very different. They're similar. They use a lot of the same, same type of, uh, I want to say, um, what goes into it structurally and everything obviously is the same, but, uh, formatting and everything else is very different. And then when you're, when you're writing for a film, it's, it's really easy to write action sequences that, that flow and follow because the camera will be following that. But when you're writing an action sequence for a comic book graphic novel, you have to really think about how can and will the artist be able to do this and do it in a way that's possible because you can have a really great action sequence, but if the artist isn't, it's just, you know, outside of reality for them to draw something like that, because it's just too much to fit in a panel or a page um, sequentially to make it work or if it's going to cover, if you have a page count of like, we'll just say 250 pages and your really amazing action sequence is going to cost you 30 pages. <laughs> is it right? Is there a benefit to it? Um, and that's where, you know, having somebody that's skilled in that, like Andy parks to, to be able to really tighten down action sequences to, to make the, the most um, I want to say budget those those uses of space and uses of action uh, into those panels and maximize that, uh, that type of storytelling along with the amazing dialogue and, and the uh, amount of narrative uh, that was dropped in. But it's, it's definitely one of those things that yes, you can be like Kevin Smith or the Russos and be a fan of comics and then be able to, to create great screenplays. But sometimes it's, it's definitely makes a lot more sense to have somebody that has the ability to do that kind of comic book uh, writing. Um, well, there and to, I, yeah. I personally am super anxious to ask Andy Parks himself just that question. What was it like? And Phil Hester, because what was it like working with Kevin Smith? Andy Parks, what was it like working with the Russos? How were you able to guide them? How did you use your experience as an artist and a writer to guide them in the right direction to make such a ph- phenomenal book like See You, Dad. And I may just get the opportunity to ask them both those questions at Ocon Expo. Oh, yeah? In Omaha, Nebraska, slash... Council, Bl- Council Bluffs, Iowa. Council Bluffs, <laughs> Iowa. <laughs> which are right by each other, apparently. And this is my knowledge of American geography. It's where I across, asked Greg last week, it's you didn't tell me we were going just, to Iowa. <laughs> it's just like the best part about doing covering this book and talking about Ocon Expo is it's just like the story. See you, Dad. A bridge connects both cities, and the only way to get from one to the other is to cross a bridge. But we have to do it in such a way. It is and like if I and if I do my job, yeah, this podcast will be in your, the listeners, grubby hands on July 12th. All right. That's just in time. is one week approximately before we show up in Council Bluffs, Iowa, slash Omaha, Nebraska for Ocon Expo. (gasps) Amazing. And you can ask us about our feelings about it. But if you show up, why ask us? Just go to Andy Parks himself and ask him. Yeah. There you go. And I'm super excited to be there with Phil Hester and Andy Parks. It's going to be... Awesome. It is going to be pretty cool. Yeah, it's funny when I actually look at the website and come to the realization that there's going to be these amazing creators there that Mm -hmm. I never get to see because they're in the Midwest. And I actually get to go ask them questions and probably to the point where I bug them and they tell me to go away and banish me back to my table. (laughs) But we will be there. It's true. They might. 
<laughs> they might. It depends on their mood. <laughs> Sometimes I have creators like, no, no, actually stay here and keep talking. I don't care about the line. <laughs> Sometimes I have creators that are like, uh, Dan. We, we've talked for 30 minutes. Um, give another person a chance. 30 minutes? It only seems like 10. Actually, it's been two hours. But, <laughs> but what I have learned, and I, I don't know if this is still true. I've learned that Andy Parks enjoys booze. It says Andy is fond of vintage fedoras, golf, and bourbon, mm. also rum and vodka. Oh, okay. Is this on his? Uh, on his it's in his bio. His in bio. This book. <laughs> All right. So perhaps if we were being kind, we would bring Mr. Hester and Mr. Parks a fine bottle of bourbon that we could hand off to them, and then maybe they would enjoy that. Are you trying to bribe them just like so in see you, Dad? I think so. I do think that's, I mean, based off the storytelling here, this is clearly how I get my way. Okay, I see. I see. So if I showed up at the table with a bottle of bourbon, perhaps you would happily sign my copy of See You, Dad, uh, and also sign my Green Arrow comic. You might have to do it in a party bag because I think it might be frowned upon at the show. (laughs) Are you sure? I don't know. Well, what you're saying is we would have to smuggle in... (laughs) Oh, Dan. See, 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 we're going to have to smuggle it in and then get it to Mr. Parks. I see. This is, this is a very, uh, he's been thinking about this for a while, folks. <laughs> well, probably like we think of exquisite fine bourbon that we'd be smuggling in. It'll probably just end up with little bottles of fireball from the corner store. That is not. <laughs> I don't, I don't think, I don't, I, I think, I, I think that's an insult to the man. Well, since the little bottles of Fireball aren't even actual whiskey. It's a wine. Yeah, then that probably would be an insult. But yeah, we're going to be at Ocon Expo on the 21st, 22nd, 23rd of July. Yeah. Which is in um, just a couple weeks. Yeah. Coming up faster than I thought it was. It is coming up quick. I got a pack. Yeah, you've got a pack and I've got to uh, pack. I don't know. Pack, I guess. Yeah. I mean, you're the one that really has to pack. I don't need to bring very much. It's true. I gotta, but you you have to pack up like stuff. books and and things. So books and things, books and things, <laughs> books and things and things and things. I just have to put some stickers in a box and bring you a hat, which yes. I probably should do before we leave. Yeah, I if I if I get it before we go on the plane, then I'll be fine. I'm wearing my hat right now. Well, aren't you lucky? I decided I should start wearing the hat that advertises the podcast in public because, you know, that seems smart. Yeah. And then people were like, oh, hey, what's that? And you're like, oh, it's like a podcast. <laughs> well, come by and see us. We'll give you a sticker. Yeah. You can meet Greg. And you can meet Dan. Is, you can meet Greg and, and Michael Tanner, the co-authors of Junior Braves of the Apocalypse. Oh, yeah, that thing. You can met, meet Brett Waddell. Yeah. Who draws everything. Draws everything. He'll be Paints selling stuff. prints and uh, doing doing art stuff and then we well, have you should probably just i mean seriously yeah. if you want something awesome looking go get a commission from brad yeah uh he's he does digital he also does watercolor and he can do line art too i mean he can do anything right? i don't want to say it yeah. but i think his art style is is beautiful and it is i can't I, I wish i could do that stuff but it's brett and he's magical so come yeah Come say hi, check out Brett's table as well. And obviously Phil Hester and Andy Parks. Go check them out. And there's lots of other guests there. So yeah. come ask Morgan Fairchild why she was so mean to everybody on Falcon Everything. Crest. I almost <laughs> said Knots Landing. <laughs> uh, same time slot, wrong show. No, I'm just joking. I don't think it's the same time slot. I think slot. it might have been the same time slot, actually. But uh, different channel. Yeah. Um, anyway, that's so we'll be there. Come hang out with us. And of course, as always, listen to the show. Tell people about it. If you like us bantering about comics. Well, yeah, share it. Listen, share, tell people. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're mm-hmm. on Instagram. Insta. Yeah. No, no, the Insta. The Insta? Okay, yeah. the Insta. I'm I'm cool. It's the Insta, he's right? Hit. He's cool, kids. It's not yeah. chewy at all. No, I'm I'm so cool that I'm the opposite of cool. <laughs> Hello, fellow young people. We're on the Insta. <laughs> Hello, young friends. Follow us. You can at follow us on the Facebook. Funny book for N6. <laughs> and it's pretty neato. Well, I guess we need to go because I need to go edit a last 
podcast and get it up by tomorrow and stuff. And you need to go do and store things, which and store things means the Retro Emporium on Meeker in yeah, Washington. That's right. Check it out if you want to relive your childhood. Or not, just, no, you know, do you have any last things to plug? Uh, no, I have nothing else I can that I can talk about. So nothing, nothing else to plug at the moment. I mean, yeah, I think we covered well, it get all. Your, get a copy of Junior Braves of the Apocalypse. You get, you can if you can, or the game, and bring it by. And yeah, Mike and Greg will be happy to sign it for you and uh, even personalize uh, I guess, it. I guess uh, you know Starlight when when you if you come to the show uh copy that with you too yeah well get it signed by brett and greg yeah if you have it come get it signed by us if you don't have it you can come pick up a copy from us (laughs) i i may bring one and get it signed by (laughs) brett and greg oh boy because i don't have one signed. i mean i greg i love you and i i i probably can get your signature most days but i don't get to hang out with brett all the time so yeah so i mean get it signed why not i will you should okay maybe i will do it fine well i guess we're done then we're All done. Right, done we're done hit we're that done. button dan we're done we're done, we're done. We're done. We're done. We're done.